Welcome to the Banking with Life Q&A series. I'm your host, James Nethery, and this is where I answer your questions concerning the infinite banking concept. Let's get started. In this question, Josh asks, um, James, you seem to come out against direct recognition here. Please clarify. And Josh is commenting on the shadowy side of IBC, the Banking with Life podcast, episode number 95. Um, I don't really want to come out against the uh, direct recognition, but if I had a choice, why would I want to pay an interest rate on a loan, cost of capital, right? the, the cost of that access to that capital is the loan rate. Well, why would I want to pay a loan rate and also receive a lesser dividend on the loan outstanding on that balance? So if I have $100,000 in cash value, I borrow $50,000 from the life insurance company, they're going to reduce my dividend on that $50,000 that's outstanding in a loan. Isn't that another cost of capital? Yes. So if I'm a young person, especially um, and I'm going to finance, I'm going to practice becoming my own banker. I'm going to finance automobiles, my spouse's automobiles, my children's automobiles, education, um, travel. I'm going to finance these things that I'm financing anyway. I'm going to do it with the infinite banking concept. Why would I want to reduce my dividend? I wouldn't. So um, I would prefer to have non-direct recognition companies. They pay a dividend whether there's an outstanding loan or not. And while we're speaking at dividends, about dividends, I'd like to work with companies that are legitimate when it comes to illustrating their dividends. So, Josh, I hope that answers your question. You know, if that's what you have and that's all you have and that's all you can get, okay, no problem. And this idea that you can take the most valuable asset that you have down to the third-party lender to avoid that because, and I'm going to continue here, Josh, um, these direct recognition companies have trained their agents to you need to go get a relationship with a banker right because to avoid the reduction in the dividend just take your policy down to the bank and collateralize it with the bank that way you can borrow the cheap money two three or four and still get your full dividend can you do that well you can do anything you want with the assets and the property that you own right life insurance is an asset it's property you can do whatever you want with that my question is, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to take the most valuable asset or one of them, one of the most valuable assets that you own, and take it right down to the bank and collateralize it? Let them control it. No, Listen, have I done that? Yes, I've educated many bankers, and I have done that. And uh, I would not recommend you do that. All right. So to avoid all that, rigmarole, the sales process. Um, how about just a legitimate, non-direct recognition company? Pay me a legitimate dividend, charge me a legitimate loan rate, and let me go do what I was going to do anyway. Free contract. I love it. Listen, Shelby, oh my gosh, this girl asked some fabulous questions. Thank you, Shelby. If you put a reduced paid up on a policy, do you get back the insurability that the PUA rider was eating up? That's a very good question. So RPU, is a, that's a non-forfeiture option that only exists in permanent whole life insurance. Does not exist in universal life. Variable universal life, universal life, index universal life, only in whole life. Okay, 
And what that, it's a contractual right that you have. So in year seven and beyond, at the end of year seven, you can um, elect what is called a reduced paid up. You can elect that option, right? It's a non-forfeiture option. So tell the insurance company, listen, I don't want to pay any premiums ever again. So reduce the death benefit, but pay up the premium. The policy's paid up, the death benefit's reduced. Reduce paid up. Once that's done, you can't undo it. Okay, so if you elect a reduced paid up on a policy, do you get the insurability back that the PUA rider was eating up? Yes, maybe, maybe not. All right, well, look, as the insurability, all of our insurability is based on our age and current income. Okay, if I'm 50 years old and I earn 100,000 a year, I can have about 20 times my income and total face amount, okay? So if I earn 100,000 a year, then I can have my insurability is $2 million, okay? All right, now if I go forward seven years and now I'm 57 and I reduce pay up, I am gonna reduce my death benefit, but the death benefit has grown for those seven years, okay? And then the, uh, my, my income could go up, no problem. If my income remained the same or went down, but I had seven birthdays, now at age 57, my insurability may be 15 times. 15 times my annual income, 100,000 times 15 is 1.5 million. What the death benefit has grown, right, and my income has remained the same, I may get that insurability back, right? So if I reduce pay up, let's say the death benefit's reduced to a million and it's paid up, then I only have $500,000 of insurability. Well, if I wait two more years and I'm age 60 or 65, you know, and I can create all kinds of examples, but the short answer, it really depends on your age and your income. Says, hey James, I found out about your show through a Facebook group. I have to say, I love the podcast. I had a few questions for you though. How does a smoker's policy compare to a non-smoker? And what if I quit smoking while I have a policy? Can I get a better rating in the future? Also, does vaping count as smoking in the eyes of life insurance companies? Um, that's a compound question there, John. Okay. Um, thanks for the kind words. And the the difference between a smoker or you know tobacco user, a non-tobacco user, is the cost of the death benefit, the price per thousand of death benefit. So the comparison is going to be that you're going to have less death than if the premium is equal, right? And you're a tobacco user, you're going to have a lesser death benefit and a lesser cash value compared to the non-tobacco user, right? But look, all life insurance is priced appropriately, right? So... Um, if you quit smoking in the future, yes, you can go back to the life insurance company and ask for non-tobacco rates. Or if you get rated for any reason, a medical condition, you always have the right to go back to the insurance company and ask for a rating reduction or an improved rating. And you will typically go through underwriting to do that. So yes, you could get a better, it is possible to get a better rating in the future. Vaping absolutely counts as smoking or tobacco use. As a matter of fact, the uh, vaping, um, you know, which is relatively modern, 
Um, the life insurance companies are very leery of vaping. They believe it's probably worse than smoking tobacco. But you're never any younger than you are right now. And you're typically never healthier than you are right now. So don't wait. Right? Tomorrow's not guaranteed at all. The ability to get insurance can change in a blink of an eye, right? You know, accidents, weird, you go to the doctor and they find something that you didn't know, you're potentially uninsurable. I'm telling you, uh, I want to encourage you to take action. Whether you smoke, you don't smoke, whether you use cannabis, you don't use cannabis, whether you're diabetic, whatever the situation is. And this idea, after you fully vet it, makes sense to you, then get to it. All right. Don't wait. There's no reason to wait. If you become healthier, no problem. Go and ask for a rating reduction. Okay. But don't wait. Good question, John. As an insurance agent, having attended many classes, why hasn't anyone ever explained to me the infinite banking concept and its implementation in the world of life insurance? Well, Cindy, welcome. You know, why didn't they tell you? Maybe they didn't know, right? The whole idea of life insurance, the whole focus of life insurance is on the death benefit and the cost per thousand. That's what fuels the uh, argument of by term compared to whole life or permanent. Um, I choose to believe that they didn't know. If they would have known, they would have told you. Why didn't they know? Nobody told them. This idea of becoming your own banker was not created by the life insurance companies. It was ground up. Nelson Nash discovered it, right? And there's even some debate about that where people want to say, oh, well, my grandfather borrowed against policies. No question. No question. You have cash value and a loan provision. You know, borrowing against cash values is over 100 years old. Nobody until Nelson Nash came along ever said, hey, look, life insurance has more characteristics of a banking entity than it does life insurance. So um, I choose to believe that you didn't know. They didn't tell you, Cindy, because they didn't know. Okay. Why didn't they know? Well, they didn't create the idea. In layman's terms, or ask, in layman's terms, how can I explain this concept to my family? Give them the book, Becoming Your Own Banker. All right, 92 pages. Nelson did it very simply, completely, and eloquently. And if they're not willing to read to improve themselves and their position and their family, you know, um, nothing that you say is probably going to, you know, make a difference. I don't know. But Kevin... They don't know what you know, right? It, you're trying to explain it to them because you love them, you're excited for them, you want the best for them, but they don't know what you know. So give them the opportunity to at least get to your level, right? Um, let them read and watch and listen to what you've read, watched, and listened to. So that would be my encouragement. All right, and it's like twenty one ninety five anywhere online. Twenty nine ninety five in my office with a bunch of additional perks worth forty dollars. In the event that I die before my loans are paid, does that figure come off my death benefit amount? Yes, the uh, death benefit collateralizes your outstanding loan balance. Yes, so you have a hundred thousand dollars face amount. You die with a $50,000 outstanding loan, 
your beneficiaries receive $50,000. The first thing that happens is that loan is paid off. Well, why is that? Why is the evil life insurance company keeping the cash values when I die? You know, you hear that. You hear all kinds of weird things out there. But at the end of the day, the cash value, what you can collateralize, right, is nothing but the net present value of the future death benefit minus future premiums. So short answer is yes, the death benefit pays off your loans. Thank you for listening. If you have a question that you would like an answer to, email me at james at bankingwithlife.com. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.